We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Go episode 355 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Wednesday, July 13th, 2022. It is two weeks from today that we have the start of 2022 Commanders training camp. Yes, the Commanders offseason is winding down, and it is two weeks and one day from today that we could have the co-owner and co-CEO of the Commanders, Dan Snyder, testifying before Congress. We, on Tuesday afternoon, had yet another development in the saga of the Danny and the committee, as in the House Committee on Oversight and Reform, which has been investigating the Commanders' workplace misconduct scandal, committee chairwoman Carolyn B. Maloney, in a letter to one of Dan Snyder's many, and I mean many, attorneys, Karen Patton Seymour said that the committee had accepted Dan's offer to testify via video conference on July 28th, but only under a subpoena. Uh, The committee, per the letter, will not accept Dan testifying voluntarily as Seymour had requested. Uh, Maloney in the letter said that she wants Dan to testify under a subpoena to make sure that his, quote, testimony will be full and complete and will not be restricted in the way it would be if the deposition were conducted voluntarily, end quote. A statement on Tuesday afternoon from a spokesperson for Dan Snyder, quote, Mr. Snyder's attorneys are reviewing the committee's letter to determine if their due process concerns, including the circumstances of Mr. Snyder's appearance, have adequately been addressed, end quote. Uh, Let me just say this. I would be shocked if Dan agreed to testify to Congress under a subpoena. We all know that Dan wants nothing to do with Congress to begin with. We all know that Dan is just trying to run out the clock until the Republicans 
take back the House of Representatives in the November midterm elections. Assuming that happens, which you know what, you probably just can't assume, but I know that the prevailing opinion is that the Republicans are going to take back the House. And so you just know that Karen Patton Seymour and the rest of Dan Snyder's many attorneys are coming up with just the right response for him to deny Congress's acceptance of a date that Team Danny put out there, July 28th. I feel like Team Danny put that date out there thinking that Congress would not accept that date. And now it's like, oh, uh, you're accepting it? Yeah, no, that doesn't work for us no more. Uh, Representative Carolyn B. Maloney in her letter asked for confirmation from Team Danny of the July 28th date by noon Eastern on Wednesday. Given how this entire saga has gone, I think that it's more likely that you'll find zero factual errors on commandlegacy.com than it is that Dan Snyder will accept testifying to Congress under a subpoena. But you know what? We shall see, okay? Perhaps we'll all be surprised. Hello and welcome to this Wednesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Hey, if it's all right with you, we're going to focus on actual commanders of football for the bulk of our commanders conversation on this installment of the podcast. Next segment, a special guest, Cam Meller, Senior Director of College Football and the NFL Draft at Pro Football Network. He knows college football and the NFL Draft exceptionally well. He just completed quite the endeavor, a ranking of the top 131 quarterback situations in the FBS in college football. Essentially, a ranking of the top quarterbacks in the FBS. Uh, As you may know, the 2023 NFL Draft, unlike the 2022 NFL Draft, is set to be loaded at quarterback. Just how loaded? Uh, Wait until you hear what Cam has to say. And so if you are a Commanders fan, you very much want to be aware of this. The quarterback nature of the 2023 NFL Draft. Cam will address that and a number of other commander's items. So give us his take on our commander's new starting quarterback, Carson Wentz. Uh, Cam will give us his thoughts on the commander's 2022 draft, including the selection of quarterback Sam Howell. Trust me, you do not want to miss what Cam Meller says about Sam Howell, what Cam says about Sam. Uh, And Cam will discuss Maryland quarterback Talia Tungavailoa, Virginia Tech quarterback Grant Wells, and Virginia quarterback Brennan Armstrong. Uh, Cam Meller, college football and NFL draft analyst for Pro Football Network on this show. Next segment. Also on this installment of the Al Galdi podcast, I again will talk Orioles before I talk Nationals. Uh, Now, the Nats did not play a game on Tuesday night. Their game one of a two-game series against the Seattle Mariners at Nationals Park got rained out. Uh, We'll have a day-night doubleheader at Nationals Park on Wednesday. But I do have a Nats segment for you because we on Tuesday night had a scare with the Nats' number one prospect, starting pitcher Cade Cavalli. And we on Tuesday afternoon got the news that Anibal Sanchez will be the Nats' starting pitcher on Thursday night for game one of a four-game series against the Atlanta Braves at Nationals Park. Uh, I have some things to say about all of this, but before we get to the Nats, we will properly commemorate another Orioles win, a ninth consecutive Orioles win. Yeah, the O's won again. Uh, The O's on Tuesday night won at the Chicago Cubs 4-2 in game one of a two-game series. The O's now have won nine straight games in a single regular season, 
for the first time since September 1999. And the O's for the 2022 regular season now are at 500. 500! 44 wins, 44 losses. Uh, We had another good start from Jordan Lyles. We had more great work from the Orioles bullpen. Orioles magic! Feel it happen. Oh, it be happen right now. Uh, you can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Lots of feedback off our conversations on Mondays and Tuesdays shows, episodes 353 and 354, about the Commander's Command Legacy.com mess. Uh, email from Michael King on Commander's Team President Jason Wright writes Michael, Jason Wright is completely unimpressive. And commentators who go out of their way to say that he is impressive sound silly and reveal their agendas. This is not a reference to you. (laughs) Uh, Thank you, Michael. Uh, That last line there made me laugh. Here's what I believe to be true about Jason Wright. He's impressive as a person. He has been unimpressive as Washington's team president. Email from Tom on the initial omission of left tackle Trent Williams on commandlegacy.com from the voting for the next 10 greatest members of the Commander's franchise. Writes Tom, this is a very rare occurrence, but I have to tell you that I disagree with your take. Uh, This on the snub of Trent Williams. Actually, looking at the website, I see that the team has added him, but I wish that the team would have left him off. First of all, I don't blame Dan Snyder for this or think that it is petty. Uh, Not blaming the Danny for being petty is yet another very rare occurrence. If I was Jason Wright or Ron Rivera, I would definitely have chosen to leave Trent off the list. This list isn't simply the most skilled players to suit up for the team. This is the 90 greatest Can we really call Trent Williams one of the greatest people in this franchise's history after the way he departed? As far as I'm concerned, good riddance to that dope-smoking loser. (laughs) He dissed the franchise. He refused to play. He forced Ron to trade him, getting pennies on the dollar for Trent's value. Trent basically screwed over the team. How pathetic would it be if the team was to now honor him as one of the 90 greatest in our franchise's history? This is not the time to honor Trent. I would prefer that if in another 10 years, when he has retired and the memory of his ugly exit has faded, that he would be considered for the 100 greatest in franchise history. But hopefully, the team will be so successful with its multiple Super Bowl victories over this coming decade that there won't be enough room for Trent. We can pencil him in for the greatest 150 in 2082. (laughs) Keep up the great work, and let's not disagree ever again. Well, thank you for the email, Tom. You know what? Disagreement is healthy, my man. No worries. Uh, And yeah, I get where you're coming from. I totally do. I just think that if you're being objective and you're putting together a true good faith list of the 90 greatest players slash coaches slash executives in the history of the franchise, Trent Williams is on that list. He's one of the best offensive linemen in the history of the team. And that's saying something because the team has had a number of great offensive lineman. But yeah, I cannot stand how Trent left the team. Uh, And trust me, I did not shed any tears over him initially being left off the voting. But what's right is right. Uh, By the way, consider this. What if Trent doesn't get enough votes? 
to be among the 90 greatest members of the franchise. What if most fans feel like Tom does and do not want Trent being honored as one of the 90 greatest members of the franchise? That actually would be an even bigger whammy of Trent than him being left off the voting. He's eligible for the voting, and yet he doesn't get enough votes. That would be quite the ha-ha. <laughs> yes, thank you. Ha-ha. Uh, email from Josh writes, Josh, good morning, Al, from the Villages, Florida. You made the post. And sure enough, Josh includes a photo of an article by Scott Allen in the Washington Post on the omission of Trent Williams from the voting for the next 10 greatest members of the Commanders franchise. And sure enough, something that I said on Monday's show is quoted in the article. Uh, Josh, I honestly had no idea about that. So thank you for alerting me to that. Continues, Josh. A couple of other things. Number one, the Masson app has continued to work for me while I have been down in Florida. No need to go to a sports bar to watch the O's. Number two, probably the biggest blunder of the 90th anniversary website was the two tickets for $90 promotion. I was able to grab two upper-level 50-yard line tickets to the Cowboys game, section 454, row 12, along with a parking pass for under $200, including fees. Soon after I bought the tickets, the team changed the promotion to only limited view tickets for that game. The commanders are currently selling the tickets in my same section and row for $164 apiece, not including fees. Thanks, commanders. Uh, Well, thank you for the email, Josh. Very happy to read those last two items. I'm glad that the Masson app has continued to work for you while down in Florida. But boy, you never hear anything about this Masson app. I mean, Masson goes out of its way not to tell us about the Masson app or to remind us of the Masson app or to advertise the Masson app. I wasn't even sure if the Masson app still existed. Uh, And good for you, Josh, for getting a good deal on Commander's Cowboys tickets. You know, that could be, could be a monster game. Commander's home to Dallas in week 18 of the 2022 season. The Commander's regular season finale is a home game against the Cowboys. Shades of the 2012 season, 10 years ago. Uh, Perhaps the NFC East will be on the line when the Commanders host the Cowboys in Week 18 of this coming season. We shall see. Hey, if you can't be optimistic about your football team in the middle of July, when exactly can you be optimistic about your football team? Well, when it comes to Kellen Hunt as your real estate agent, you shouldn't just feel optimistic. You should feel certain that Kellen Hunt will get you the home that you want and deserve. Visit CloseItWithKell.com. That's CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. If you have questions about the real estate market in the Washington, D.C. area in these tricky economic times, if you are wanting to buy a new home in the D.C. area but are unsure about some things given everything going on with our economy, do not hesitate to contact Kellen Hunt. Visit CloseItWithKell.com. 
Realestatemarket.com. Kellen Hunt understands the D.C. area real estate market, and he is here for you to listen to what you want, no matter your situation in life. Whether you are a first-time buyer looking for guidance, or you have a young family looking for a bigger home, or you're ready to retire and or are looking to downsize, Kellen Hunt can help you. Kellen Hunt is a real estate agent for real people. He's a great guy, and he will listen to you. He's not just some know-it-all. He works for you. He takes in what you're looking for and then gets to work. Uh, Smart, attention to detail, creative. Put Kellen Hunt to work for you. And Kellen Hunt is willing to put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Yes, you the buyer get a piece of the action. Who doesn't want that in these economic times? Kellen Hunt knows what buyers like you are facing, and he wants to help. So visit CloseItWithKell.com. That's CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs, and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. You have nothing to lose. Visit CloseItWithKell.com. Book an introductory call with Kellen Hunt at CloseItWithKell.com. If you are trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you will do well by going with Kel. Visit CloseItWithKel.com and tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. Well, to me, uh, it is quite simple in the NFL. If you do not have a franchise quarterback, then you need to be constantly looking for a franchise quarterback. Uh, The Commanders, uh, they went into their 2022 offseason making no secret of their desire to find a franchise quarterback. They, of course, ended up trading for Carson Wentz, so we'll see how he does this coming season. Uh, Wentz has three years left on his contract, but the Commanders, as you probably know, can cut him after this coming season and not owe him any additional money. The guaranteed money in his contract is done with after this coming season. Now, hopefully, Wentz does very well as a commander's quarterback and ends up proving to be a franchise quarterback for the team. But there, of course, is very much a possibility that those things will not happen. So then what? Well, unlike the 2022 NFL draft, the 2023 NFL draft is set to be loaded at quarterback. And so here to talk about that, the Commander's 2022 draft class and more, is Cam Meller. He is the Senior Director of College Football in the NFL Draft at Pro Football Network. Uh, He has worked for Pro Football Focus as its lead college football analyst. You can follow Cam on Twitter at Cam Meller, C-A-M-M-E-L-L-O-R. And Cam has just come out with something very special, a ranking of the top 100 31 quarterback situations in the FBS in college football. This is essentially a ranking of the top quarterbacks in the FBS, although some spots in the ranking feature multiple quarterbacks from the same team. But this is a great exercise to determine what exactly we're potentially looking at with the quarterback class for the 2023 NFL draft. Hey, Cam, how are you? I'm great. Uh, you know, riding riding high after hitting cement last week on this thing. Twenty one thousand plus words, countless hours of film. It's uh, it was a lot of fun. I love though that we're not doing one hundred and thirty quarterbacks anymore because of JMU. You know, and I got it's that odd one thirty one. It's very weird to say. I'll, I'll get used to it though. I think. 
Hey, the Dukes of James Madison. Much respect to Harrisonburg, Virginia on this podcast. Uh, But man, a ranking of the top 131 quarterback situations in the FBS in college football. Quite the aggressive endeavor. How'd you go about doing this? So it starts, you know, I'd say it starts last August, but that's uh, that's probably putting it lightly. It's every time that anybody, any of these quarterbacks have stepped foot on the field. So for some of these kids, they've been in college since 2017 with that COVID year. So it's been, I say it's a labor of love. The why is easy because I want to make sure that every quarterback in every situation has the positivity and the, you know, they're still one of the 131 best quarterbacks in the world at this point, basically. So they all need their time to shine in their, in their moments. So you actually won't find a negative word on there. So the why is easy The how, though, like you mentioned, it's, it was very, it's very difficult. It's an arduous task watching film. I actually go back in January right after the national championship and I start rewatching every game I possibly can. So once I'm comfortable with watching the returning quarterbacks, I throw them into my massive data spreadsheets, um, figure out which, which are good. I have some proprietary measures that I do, uh, with interceptable pass attempts and noteworthy football throws. So we, uh, Conjure all that up, look at the situation, look at the returning staff. And that's, uh, that's actually been one of the more difficult parts now is the transfer portal and seeing who's coming back, who's coming where, who's coming with them, who they lost, what receivers, what coaching staff members are still there. So it's, it's a lot that goes into it. It's not just looking at this guy through for 3000 yards and 27 touchdowns. I'm going to rank him high. It's, it's so much more than that. Yeah, and especially with college football, just the sheer volume of players and teams, and you have to adjust for strengths of schedules and for types of offenses, just to normalize everything is such a task. Uh, So I know that you used to be with Pro Football Focus, you're now with Pro Football Network. How did you get into analyzing college football and the NFL draft? Guys, it started at PFF, but I guess I honestly got into played football for 12 years of my life before. So there's it's ingrained in me. But then actually after college, I worked at Florida State, studied, you know, did journalism, sports editor, uh, the paper there as well. Um, went on actually, and I got a job at a small outfit in Columbus, Ohio, a digital scout. And it was stat tracking apps for high school sports, volleyball, baseball basketball and obviously football. And so doing that, looking at the back end and helping coaches understand what their players are doing much, much better than just pen and paper. Uh, that's where it started. That was back early 2010, 2011. And then from there, it blossomed into the gig at PFF sort of just fit, uh, graded games and graded players and ran social and, and all of their college angles from 2015 to 2019. Um, so it really started back when I was doing high school sports. That's actually after college and then morphed into PFF. So, been watching college football ever since my first days at university. But uh, yeah, since then, it's, it's definitely PFF really kicked it off for me. Awesome. Well, from the perspective of a franchise quarterback needy NFL team like the Commanders, look, if Carson Wentz works out great, but if he doesn't, then the Commanders next offseason will be right back to where they were this offseason looking for a franchise quarterback. With the caveat that a number of things could change, is it accurate to say that right now, the 2023 NFL draft will be a very good draft at quarterback? The 2023 draft will be exponentially better than not just this last year, but honestly, it's going to be up there with those that we might say or look at. I don't know if teams will need them up at the top based on current Vegas odds and projections of standings, but there are guys that could be franchise quarterbacks as early as year one in the sort of vein that Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence were one and two and plugged in as day one starters. We might have multiple players that are going to be plugged in as day one starters or or projected as day one starters. It is a terrific class with a lot of projection now, 
and if all comes to fruition, we're going to have five, six, could even have seven first-round caliber guys. Wow. So who to you right now stand out as the potential first-round quarterbacks in the 2023 NFL draft? The, the top two are easy. C.J. Stroud from Ohio State, I think he's the best one. If you look at, uh, unfortunately for a kid like Bryce Young at Alabama, the short quarterback, the smaller quarterback, you know, with Baker's ousting at Cleveland and going to Carolina and Kyler having his issues, the short quarterback model is sort of folding in front of our eyes. It was a good experiment over the past, I'd say, what, five, six years? And now we're, we're looking at it as maybe Bryce Young might be a little bit too small for the NFL. Nothing against the kid, unfortunately. I think he's got an amazing arm, and he'll still be a first-round pick because I believe that there's he plays well, much bigger than uh, than what he's listed at at six feet, but he's probably you know, 5'11", 5'10", on a good day. So he'll be historically, I think, small, but it, he's still immense talent. So C.J. Stroud, to me, though, at 6'4", 225, a guy with ridiculous arm strength uh, and layering to his throws. There's not a not a throw he can't make on the field. So Stroud to me is the guy, the prototypical quarterback that's going to go one overall if all goes to fruition for for however this, the standings in the draft order you know lands. Uh, but then to me, there's the after one and two, it's Bryce Young and and Stroud, and then there's the drop off because I think we have to see it from them this year. But Will Levis from Kentucky, Tyler Van Dyke from Miami, Spencer Rattler, I still think belongs in this conversation. And then you have guys like Cameron Ward who's transferring from incarnate work to Washington State, Hendon Hooker, the Virginia Tech to Tennessee train. I mean, there's so many guys that have so much that they can prove this season, but looked like first-round picks at the end of last year. Interesting to hear you say that the short quarterback model in the NFL is folding before our eyes. Why do you feel that way? I'm thinking, you know, it's looking like we're going to look at this as a blip on the radar for it. You know, there's a reason a guy like Tom Brady's lasted so long. There's a reason Peyton Manning commanded the offense. There's a reason Roethlisberger, for all his indiscretions off the field and everything that he looked like at the end of his career, was still the guy that won games for him. He's, these are giant, massive men in the pocket who command the offense but also can see over their offensive linemen. It, it's just it's sort of a simple uh, logistics and it goes back to the age old way I was taught. You can't coach size. Uh, at that point, when you have it, that's what you build around it. So these sort of sustainable quarterback models are these bigger quarterbacks that can make every throw. We're talking with Cam Meller, Senior Director of College Football and the NFL Draft at Pro Football Network. What is your take on Carson Wentz? Do you think that he could be a good quarterback for the Commanders? I think he could be a good quarterback. I think that this is a team that's obviously built to win with the the defense. I don't have to tell you guys that, I'm sure. Um, But to me, Wentz needs a lot of help from his supporting cast. He's not a guy that I've seen that's able to elevate the players around him. He's sort of dependent upon the his primary pass catchers, his offensive line in front of him. He needs a little bit of help. He did it at the at the college level. We saw him do that where he was throwing receivers open, and but we haven't seen it in what the past five six years from him in the pros. I know the injury history is obviously there to me. That's another waiting factor uh, in my sort of hinging hopes. If I was uh, you know hinging my hopes on a, on a guy like Carson Wentz, but the skills there, the arm talent's there, and so to me, if he gets a couple of lucky breaks his way. Some of these games, he'll be able to keep you in them. And and I think it's then dependent upon the rest of the team. I want to get your takes on two selections by the commanders in the 2022 NFL draft. They entered the draft with the number 11 overall pick, ended up trading down to number 16, where they took receiver Jahan Dodson. Had the commanders just stayed at 11, uh, they could have taken receiver Chris Olave, could have taken receiver Jamison Williams, obviously could have taken any of a number of other players. But should the commanders have just stayed at 11 and taken one of those two receivers? Or do you think that trading down, getting extra picks, and taking Dodson was the better play? It, it's 
the way that it fell. I, I'm not certain if they thought I, they probably thought they could get one of the receivers that they wanted to, and they didn't maybe didn't expect that run of the you know the three in a row from OSU and then Drake London as well. So to me, I think that there was a gap from those first four that were drafted to Dotson as well. I, I believe Dotson is a he's a sound college bowl receiver, but again, if you look at it, he was a smaller guy who won the contested catch situation on the outside. And he might not be able to play and win against these bigger quarterbacks on the outside as well. So we'll, the the jury's out on him. Obviously, a very good receiver uh, from everything that he does. But to me, it looked like when you trade down at that point, maybe you were hoping to get one of those the OSU receivers at sixteen and get a pick as well. Because I do think there was a there was a gap, there was a drop off. Even an injured Jamison Williams at that point is a guy that I would have rather had over Dotson in that first round. So far. The other pick by the commanders in the 2022 NFL draft that I want to get your take on is them selecting quarterback Sam Howell in the fifth round. Uh, I love this as a value pick. I think that most people did. Uh, What do you think that Howell could be as an NFL quarterback? A starting NFL quarterback. I, I really, I'm still on the Sam Howell train. I think some of those throws he made in 2019 as that true freshman starting for this, that offense that was very pro-friendly back in the day before Phil Longo sort of got him in this um, run-first mode uh, in his last season. The COVID year didn't help him either, so I still think that there is immense talent in Sam Howell. I thought he had the best arm, pure arm, of the class as well. So I think if you look at it, the these NFL throws that he was tasked with making back in that 2019 season, these outbreaking shots 10, 15, 20 yards down the field, they were thrown on time with pace, zip, power, and he's got the ability to throw from all angles of the field as well. Any platform, uh, pressured, uh, clean in the pocket. I mean, this is a kid, I think, who who has that ability to be a franchise quarterback eventually. He needs to shake the system, and I think that that's a much bigger thing than anybody really talks about. He's got to shake the offensive system that he just was ingrained in. So it might take a year or two, but honestly, to have the newly newly coined term bridge quarterback and a guy like Carson Wentz, if you're sitting there winning, you know, 7-9 and now, or 7-10, sorry, I I, got to wrap my brain around the 17th game now, if you're sitting there 7-10 and 10 and the meat of the teams picking again, to me, the, the quarterbacks that you want will be there. And honestly, look and see what Sam Howell does in practice. And if Carson Wentz isn't working out, see what you got in him come the end of the year. All right. So you think that Sam Howell could be not just a starting NFL quarterback, but a franchise NFL quarterback? I really think so. I think that some of those throws he made were special. Some of the throws he made over his career, even, even in this time, I mean, what, ran for over 1,000 yards? last season because he had to because that was the scheme but honestly if you look at some of those throws and isolated against what he was throwing against who he was playing and how he was throwing his receivers open on some of those situational passes he has that ability he has a special arm talent i really still am on the sam howell train and i'll uh i'll unfortunately most likely be proven wrong because there's only 32 starting franchise quarterbacks in the nfl but at this point i still think there's a lot of good in this game why do you think that Sam Howell fell as much as he did in the 2022 NFL draft? In other words, what do you think that NFL general managers and scouts were seeing in Howell to make it so that Howell ended up being available to the commanders in the fifth round? I have heard that the the bridge quarterback term has been in there in, in these evaluators' minds and said, hey, the 2023 draft is much better. Let's build and then we can let these kids slide. If we like it, we'll pull the trigger on them. So I think when you are set with a Carson Wentz for this year and you want to look and see how the class shapes up next year, I, I, it's like an insurance policy. You grab who I think is one of the top two or three quarterbacks from this past draft class, uh, but you get him in the fifth round. I mean, it, to me, that's an amazing draft call. And as much as I didn't like the Dotson pick at 16, their draft kept getting better in terms of value of players who I think will ultimately make an impact as the draft went on. 
Okay. Who else did you like from the Commanders 2022 draft? Coulter is a big one that I loved. I think this is a guy who that that Nevada offense is a little gimmicky. They got a little too cute for themselves at times where it's, you know, third and goal at the two and they try to run these little fake pop passes or play action passes around when they have massive Cole Turner they could just throw it to or they could around the ball. I think that offense did him a disservice. I think his numbers and his projection uh, or his, his production could have led to a higher projection for him had he been utilized better. I think that there's still an immense talent in Cole Turner and then Chris Paul from Tulsa, the offensive lineman. Another guy who can play any position essentially on the offensive line and I think that versatility but also his he's got a great anchor great base and there's great hand usage in him as well he's been coached up pretty nicely let's get to some of the quarterbacks of the mid-atlantic region uh in your ranking of the top 131 quarterback situations in the fbs in college football maryland's talia tungavailoa is number 49 uh it's tricky with him because he at times looks outstanding and he at times doesn't look good at all. How good is Talia Tungavailoa, in your opinion? He can be terrific. I think that, that that's the thing that he can be. He's got that terrific nature in him, but then there's that inconsistency. And that's what really hurt me. You don't, it seemed like, and I, I went back, actually, I did a really, I sort of went in on, on Tungavailoa, and I looked at what he, where he struggled in the Iowa game. Five interceptions, Minnesota game, multiple picks and multiple plays that should have been intercepted, and they looked very sluggish and terrible on offense. They were zone heavy off our defenses. Uh, obviously, Iowa runs their their three five or three three five, where they have five defensive backs, so they can run you know quarters and multiple different zone schemes. And he was really stymied, and he could not figure it out. So I think if he takes the mental step forward this year and understands how to diagnose defenses pre snap, he can. Re- easily rise up these rankings because he's got special talent, arm and legs. And so just uh, getting that a little bit better, a little bit more seasoned and understanding defenses, he can, uh, he can rise and also they can win some more games. Virginia Tech, uh, it has a new head coach in Brent Pry, and mercifully, uh, we'll have a new starting quarterback for this coming season, Grant Wells, who transferred from Marshall. You ranked Wells at number 44 in the FBS. What are the Hokies getting in Wells? Uh, one of, if not the best, middle of the field passer uh, in college football. There were some of his throws last season. It, the, the Marshall offense was a unique one. They forced the ball to the tight end. They force fed their running backs at the time. That's why Rashawn Alley had, you know, led the nation in touchdowns. But to me, Wells has anticipation in his throws and some of his middle of the field throws. If you look at, uh, I think it's the CJ Stroud throw where he's layering it over three defenders over the middle of the field. That's what Grant Wells does every pass if it's over the middle. He has beautiful vision. Uh, great intangibles and I mean an immaculate arm so I, I'm a big fan of Wells I want to see how he does against power five and ACC schedules before I go too high on him but I'm I'm pretty high on Grant Wells just because of that ability over the middle of the field and that anticipation in his throw Virginia like Virginia Tech has a new head coach uh, the Cavaliers new head coach is Tony Elliott but the Cavs unlike the Hokies have an incumbent at quarterback in Brennan Armstrong. Boy, did he have a big season last season. You have him at number 16 in the FBS. Is Brennan Armstrong a legitimate NFL prospect? It's tough to say because honestly, I, I think this these sort of spread it out, stretch out the defense and, and allow for some pretty easy open passing lanes over the middle and let your receivers do the work. They're a little bit gimmicky in the NFL and it doesn't quite work. You got to be able to see the whole field and you got to be able to see your route concepts developing against the, the coverage that you're going to be able to diagnose or either pre-step or during the you know two, three, four seconds before you have to throw it. So 
He was a little bit uber reliant upon his legs and ability to to buy time in, in the pocket. This is just talking about for the NFL. In college, it'll work. I mean, 12 times on a Saturday and everything uh, everything else in between will, will sort of fall in place. So they're going to score a lot of points. He's probably going to throw 4,000 yards again. Uh, but to me, NFL draft stock, he needs to be able to weave the, the pocket, build the pocket, and then throw to his receivers across the field to, before he gets up there. One more for you. As someone who studies college football and the NFL draft, when it comes to projecting how college quarterbacks will be as NFL quarterbacks, would you say that that projecting is getting easier or harder? A couple years ago, I would have said easier. Uh, now, if you look at it, where Baker's panned out, he was the analytics favorite, right? To be the franchise quarterback and be a Hall of Famer. And now, uh, I mean, the state of Ohio doesn't want him anymore at this <laughs> point, not just Cleveland. So to me, I, I think it's getting harder. The defenses are becoming more multiple and you're figuring things out much faster. So the analytics always, you know, as they say in, in football, defenses will always be ready before your offenses will. I think now that we saw the offenses had an uptick in production and, and being avail- available to be better early, defenses are now caught back up and I think defense are going to be a little bit better. And so, yes, that makes it a little bit more difficult to project what is sustainable from one year to another um, in terms of projection from college quarterbacks to the NFL. Excellent. Cam Meller, Senior Director of College Football in the NFL Draft at Pro Football Network. Check him out on Twitter at Cam Meller, C-A-M-M-E-L-L-O-R. And check out what he just came out with, his ranking of the top 131 quarterback situations in the FBS in college football. Cam, thanks a lot for your time and all the best to you. My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. All right, up next, I'm talking Orioles. Another win for them on Tuesday night. That's now nine consecutive victories. And guess where the O's legitimately are right now? Playoff contention. Yeah, I said it. Playoff contention. I'll explain after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, September 1999, a long time ago, right? September 1999 was nearly 23 full years ago. What was going on in your life in September 1999? Some of you listening weren't even born as of September 1999. I was a junior at the University of Maryland in September 
1999. Maryland, when I was there, and maybe this is still the case, was filled with people from New York and New Jersey. So there were a ton of New York Yankees fans at Maryland when I was there. And I was at Maryland from 1997 to 2001. The Yankees won three consecutive World Series during that stretch, 1998, 1999, and 2000. Every October after the Yankees won the World Series, people in the dorms and in on-campus housing at Maryland went nuts. Uh, The Frank Sinatra song, New York, New York, would be played loudly and obnoxiously by the Yankees fan at the University of Maryland during this time. This was so annoying and so obnoxious. Well, it was, though, in September 1999 that the Orioles won 13 consecutive games. Now, the 1999 Orioles were not some great team. Uh, the O's in the 1999 regular season went just 78 and 84, but the O's that September won 13 straight games. That winning streak had been the last time that the O's had won as many as nine straight games in a single regular season. Until now. Tuesday night, the O's began a two game series at the Chicago Cubs with a 4 2 win for a ninth consecutive victory. For the first time since September 1999, the O's have won nine consecutive games in a single regular season. As the O's, Joe Angel, again, were in the win column. And the Orioles, again, in the win column. Yes, sir, Joe, the win column. Uh, And it's not just that the O's on Tuesday night won their ninth consecutive game. The O's now are at 500. Yeah, they have made their way back to 500. The O's in this 2022 regular season are 44 and 44, including 30 and 20 since a 14 and 24 start. The O's now, over their last 50 games, are playing 600 baseball. Think about that. 30 and 20. Uh, the O's have not been at 500 this late in a regular season since September 2017. Heck, even though Tuesday night's game was at the Cubs, was at Wrigley Field, there were very audible chants of let's go O's at Wrigley Field. Q and A with O's manager Brandon Hyde during his post-game session with reporters on Tuesday night. Hyde, prior to being the Orioles' manager, was a coach for the Cubs from 2014 through 2018. Was it a funny feeling for you being here and then hearing all those Orioles fans at the end? We had uh, we had a ton of fans here, and that was so... That was... Uh, you saw them at BP, and the, the amount of Orioles and the Orange that was... Um, and, and they were loud... It was just a. It was a great atmosphere. It felt like. Uh, uh, it's, I'm appreciative for all the all the Oriole fans that that came out here and and supported us because they were really loud tonight. Yeah, what is happening with the O's right now is tremendous. The O's do remain last in the American League East, but the O's are just two games behind the Toronto Blue Jays for the American League's third wild card spot. You know, each of the top three teams in the AL wildcard standings 
is a team from the AL East, the Tampa Bay Rays, the Boston Red Sox, and the Toronto Blue Jays. The AL East has been a cauldron for years. That the O's are last in the division, and yet just two games out of the AL's third wildcard spot says so much about how tough the AL East is. Again, each of the top three teams in the AL wildcard standings is a team from the AL East. But make no mistake, the O's are in postseason contention. Let that sink in. The O's are in postseason contention. Uh, the Orioles' offense on Tuesday night was not great, but the offense certainly was good enough. Two big home runs. Uh, they came from Ramon Arias and Jorge Mateo. Uh, not exactly the first two Orioles players who you think of in terms of providing big hits, but Arias and Mateo came through on Tuesday night. Uh, Ramon Arias is the Orioles' starting third baseman and number seven batter, three for four with a two-run homer and two singles. Uh, Arias in an Orioles' two-run fourth had a one-out first pitch two-run homer to left field for a 3-2 Orioles lead. Uh, the homer went and projected 417 feet for StatCast. And Jorge Mateo on Tuesday night as the Orioles starting shortstop and number nine batter, two for four with a solo homer and a single. Uh, Mateo in the Orioles, one-run seventh, a first-pitch leadoff homer to left field for a 4-2 Orioles lead. Mateo has been so good defensively at shortstop for the O's this season. Basically, any offense that the guy gives you is a plus, and he certainly provided offense on Tuesday night. But the biggest reason for this Orioles win on Tuesday night was the Orioles pitching. Jordan Lyles, he was good for a fourth time in five starts. Man, is Lyles on a nice run here. Lyles on Tuesday night, two runs in seven innings. Uh, he gave up seven hits, a homer, a double, and five singles, but he had five strikeouts versus one walk. He threw 101 pitches, 65 strikes versus 36 balls. Uh, Brandon Hyde, who very clearly loves himself, some Jordan Lyles, raved about Lyles during the postgame session with reporters on Tuesday night. Jordan was... You know, once again, he, he gives up a run or two early, but then he just settles in, and, and he's just so competitive. And to be able to get through seven, um, he probably could have gone a little bit further. Uh, it, it was really good. Yeah, so Jordan Lyles in this 2022 regular season has an ERA of 437. But take a listen to what Lyles has been doing lately. Like I said, he now has been good in four of his last five starts. A 3 nothing loss to the Nationals at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on June 21st. Lyles in that game, two runs in six into third innings. Uh, a 4-3 loss at the Chicago White Sox on June 26th. Lyles in that game, four runs in seven innings. Okay, but he did last for seven innings. Uh, a 4-3 loss at the Minnesota Twins on July 2nd. Lyles in that game, one run in six into third innings. He had seven strikeouts versus one walk. He gave up just four hits, uh, a 4-1 win over the Los Angeles Angels at Oriole Park at Camden Yards this past Thursday night. Lyles in that game, one run in six innings. Really good stuff from Jordan Lyles lately. He has pitched at least six innings in each of his last five starts. Q&A with Brandon Hyde during the postgame session with reporters on Tuesday night. This is kind of becoming a typical Lyles type of start. A little bit of a slow start, and then he just starts grinding through, and all of a sudden you look up at it six, seven innings. It seems that way. I mean, his pitch count was way down, too. Um, 
So, you know, he gave up, that was, that was a pretty good pitch to Hap. It just, you know, Hap got on top of one that was, uh, you know, a fastball up in the strike zone. Um, you know, the second run was was uh, a little bit unlucky on, on Jordan's part, and but yeah, he pitched so well and, and gave up those two and, and kind of cruised after that. Yeah, and also for the O's on Tuesday night was more great work from their bullpen. Two Orioles relievers combined for two perfect innings. CNL Perez, a perfect bottom of the eighth. Perez has been lights out this year. His ERA for the 2022 regular season now is at 0.93. And then Jorge Lopez, perfect bottom of the ninth for the save. His ERA for the 2022 regular season down to 170. Uh, the O's for the 2022 regular season are number five in the majors in relief pitching ERA at 323. And I have even more good news for you if you're an O's fan. Uh, D.L. Hall continues to rack up strikeouts like crazy. D.L. Hall on Tuesday night in a 2-1 home loss for the AAA Norfolk Tides to the Worcester Red Sox allowed one run, which was unearned in five and two-thirds innings with eight strikeouts. Uh, he only gave up two hits, although both of them were doubles. He did issue four walks into wild pitch. He does have an issue with walks, and he, over his five and two-thirds innings, did throw 98 pitches. But D.L. Hall now, over his last three starts, has 30 strikeouts in just 15 and two-thirds innings. That is an insane strikeout rate over three starts. 30 strikeouts in just 15 and two-thirds innings. He doesn't appear to be major league ready just yet. Like I mentioned, he does have an issue with walks. Uh, 13 starts for Hull for Norfolk in the 2022 season. ERA of 383, walks per nine innings of 5.25. The walks need to come down, but the strikeout rate is superb. D.L. Hull this season for Norfolk is averaging 14.74 strikeouts per nine innings. Uh, that is spectacular. Uh, MLB Pipeline ranks Hall as the number 66 prospect in baseball. This season is his age 23 season. Uh, the O's took Hall with the number 21 pick in the 2017 MLB draft out of a high school in Georgia. And look, that Hall is pitching this season uh, is a minor victory. And that Hall last season pitched for double-A Bowie, but totaled just 31 and two-thirds innings due to a stress reaction in his left elbow. So good to see him healthy and great to see him uh, racking up the strikeouts at the rate that he is. Game two for the surging O's uh, at the Cubs is on Wednesday night at 8.05. Spencer Watkins will be the Orioles starting pitcher. Well, no game for the Nationals on Tuesday night. They were supposed to play game one of a two-game series against the Seattle Mariners at Nationals Park, but the game got postponed due to rain, and so the Nats and the Mariners will play a day-night doubleheader on Wednesday at Nationals Park. Game one, Wednesday afternoon at 12.05, Josiah Gray will be the Nats starting pitcher. Game two, Wednesday evening at 6.05, Eric Fetty will be the Nats starting pitchers. So the Nats will go into their all-star break playing six games in five days, uh, two games on Wednesday against the Seattle Mariners at Nationals Park, and then four games Thursday through Sunday against the Atlanta Braves at Nationals Park. Uh, it is now official. Nats right fielder Juan Soto will participate in the 2022 Home Run Derby, uh, which will take place 
at Dodger Stadium this coming Monday night as part of the festivities in the lead-up to this Tuesday night's All-Star game. Uh, Soto, for now, is the Nats' lone All-Star player, although Nats manager Davey Martinez will serve as a coach for the National League All-Star team. So that was the happy news from Tuesday uh, that Juan Soto officially will be participating in the 2022 Home Run Derby. But we on Tuesday night got frightening Nats news. Uh, Their number one prospect, starting pitcher Cade Cavalli, left a start due to injury. Uh, Cavalli on Tuesday night in a 5-2 home win for the AAA Rochester Red Wings over the Omaha Storm Chasers allowed one run, which was unearned in three and two-thirds innings. He had six strikeouts versus no walks. Uh, That's awesome. But he left the game. Uh, Now, he appears to have left the game due to a finger issue, but he in the top of the fourth threw a pitch and then signaled that something was wrong. Uh, That's always a scary scene for any pitcher, but especially if you're a Nats fan with this guy, that was an especially scary scene. But it sounds like this ailment isn't that big of a deal, said Rochester manager Matt LeCroy of Cavalli after the game. Quote, he had a little thing on his finger. It wasn't really a blister. It was a little small piece of skin that got pulled off of his finger. He wanted to keep going, but we thought it would be best not to. I think we got it at the right time, so I don't think it's going to be an issue, end quote. Uh, All right, so if all of that's true, then certainly good news. Uh, MLB Pipeline ranks Cade Cavalli as the number 46 prospect in baseball. He has had an uneven season for Rochester, but he has, for the most part, pitched well lately. Uh, Cavalli last Wednesday night, July 6th, in a 4-0 win for Rochester at the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs. Uh, Seven scoreless innings with seven strikeouts versus no walks and two hits, which were a double and a single. He threw 74 pitches, 54 strikes, versus 20 balls. Uh, Now, Cavalli has only pitched in three games since an outing on June 16th. Uh, The Nats recently gave him a bit of a break. It is a bit disappointing that he hasn't already been called up to the majors this season, but uh, that time is coming, uh, hopefully soon. But in the meantime, uh, the Nats, who have very little organizational pitching depth, are going back to Anibal Sanchez, (laughs) if you can believe that. Uh, Davey Martinez during his pregame session with reporters on Tuesday afternoon, while having Anibal Sanchez's son on Davies' lap, revealed that Anibal Sanchez will be the Nats' starting pitcher on Thursday night for game one of that four-game series against the Atlanta Braves at Nationals Park. Yeah, the rebuilding Nats are going to be giving a start, and likely multiple starts, to Anibal Sanchez, uh, for whom this season is his age 38 season. (laughs) If this doesn't tell you all that you need to know about the Nats' lack of organizational pitching depth, then I don't know what does. Uh, The Nats on April 10th placed Sanchez on the 10-day injured list with a cervical neck impingement. They then, on May 3rd, transferred Sanchez to the 60-day injured list. But the plan was for him to be in the Nats rotation. Uh, The Nats in March signed Sanchez to a minor league contract, but he made their season opening rotation. The Nats on April 5th announced that they had selected the contract of Sanchez, meaning that he had made their season opening rotation, but 
He then got hurt. Uh, Anibal Sanchez in the 2021 regular season did not pitch in the majors. He last pitched in an MLB regular season in the 2020 regular season, and he was not good. Uh, Anibal Sanchez for the Nats in the 2020 regular season, 11 starts, 53 innings, ERA of 662, ERA plus of just 67, 100 is average, and a whip of 166. I mean, those thumpers are brutal, man. You know, the Nats right now just need arms. The team just needs pitchers to eat up innings and, quite frankly, complete the season. This really is a sad state for Nats pitching that the team is turning to Anibal Sanchez. And I say that with all due respect to Anibal Sanchez. I have nothing against Anibal Sanchez. None of this is an attack on Anibal Sanchez, the person. But the Nats should not be in the position from which they have to do something like this. Turn to a guy like Sanchez uh, to pitch this season. Everything right now for the Nats should be about the future. And to turn back to the past is just pointless. But the Nats don't have many options right now. Again, major lack of organizational pitching depth. Uh, You know, Anibal Sanchez will always be fondly remembered by the Nats fan. Uh, Anibal Sanchez was a hero for the Nats in their 2019 World Series championship season. That was quite the season for Sanchez because he, in the 2019 regular season, struggled over his first nine starts. He was not good. Uh, Then in May 2019, he went on the 10-day injured list with a left hamstring strain. And then he ended up being much better the rest of the season. And Sanchez in the Nats 2-0 win at the St. Louis Cardinals in NLCS Game 1 in October 2019 flirted with a no-hitter, ultimately tossed seven and two-thirds scoreless innings. He was outstanding in that game. But uh, 2019 was three years ago now. A lot has changed. And the Nats turning to Anibal Sanchez uh, this season says a lot. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday show, episode 356. We'll include plenty more on the commanders. We'll see what, if anything, comes of this noon Eastern deadline on Wednesday for Dan Snyder to confirm that he'll testify via video conference to Congress under a subpoena on July 28th. Will the commander's co-owner and co-CEO be coerced into testifying on Congress's terms? We shall see. Uh, Now, also on Wednesday at noon Eastern is the start of NHL free agency. Uh, So I, on Thursday's show, will react to whatever our capitals do. Are the camps going to make a major goaltending acquisition on Wednesday. And I, on Thursday's show, will talk Nationals and Orioles. Uh, The Nats on Wednesday will play a day-night doubleheader against the Seattle Mariners at Nationals Park. Game one, Wednesday afternoon at 12.05. Game two, Wednesday evening at 6.05. And the O's on Wednesday night will go for a 10th consecutive win. Uh, The O's on Wednesday night at 8.05 will begin their game two of a two-game series at the Chicago Cubs. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll talk to you on Thursday. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.